1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of fight back from the week that was. How engaged will zoomers be to the Ontario election campaign, which is now officially on? Typically, mature adults are very likely to vote in elections, as in three in four, and 95 percent of CARP members vote in elections. We know that expanded home care is resonating with people, especially after the devastation caused by COVID in long-term care. On Monday, Libby was joined by the Zoomer squad to talk about what else is inspiring the older demo to the ballot box, if anything. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. And filling in for Peter Mugrich of Zoomer Magazine, Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs.
2: Will they vote in the same levels as they did previously? My expectation is will be yes, provided that there's some dy- dynamism in this campaign. Uh, Zoomers tend to be, uh, overwhelmingly more habitual voters than some of the younger generations. So they just, they just participate more often. But all groups tend not to participate as much if the campaign's not dynamic. So if the campaign is dynamic, I think you'll see high participation from uh, from Zoomers. If the campaign isn't as dynamic and potentially not going to be this time, um, then uh, probably a lower rate of participation, but still one of the higher rates of participation of all the groups in the population.
3: Uh, Interesting. Last week, uh, some of our guests on the show were predicting the lowest turnout in years. David, uh, would you concur with that?
4: Well, I think uh, Daryl hit it on the the head with the word dynamic, yes or no. Right now, it's sort of hasn't really gotten started. I think it's complicated this time out because some of the biggest problems, namely inflation, in the U.S. as well as here, are seen as federal issues, money supply, Bank of Canada, interest rates. Uh, So Doug Ford, Andrea Horvath, Stephen Del Duca, what are they going to do about that? You know, nothing. So they're operating within a... constrained landscape, and that may work to the benefit of Ford and putting the electorate to sleep a little bit and saying, you know, not much going on here that's very dramatic that we can expect.
3: Bill, I was talking to you last Thursday, and you liked that new home care credit, but you were pretty disappointed otherwise.
5: Yeah, generally, uh, CARP members were uh, and will be very disappointed uh, by the budget. There were as usual, lots of repeats of uh, previous promises, but all still just uh, promises, and a few of the uh, the additional things that Carp had been hoping would would be in the uh, budget, and then to see it's really just an election. Uh, Uh, Budget and everything will hang on what decisions are made after uh, June the second. Whether it's the Conservatives back in or anyone else that leaves us really uh, hanging in terms of uh, putting much trust in the promises in this budget.
3: Hmm, Daryl, the the whole thing to a certain extent struck me as being very old-fashioned where it was this kind of cannon spray of piecemeal initiatives uh, designed to placate little groups hard to put it all together hard to see uh, what a strategy is in there sure. no product. no
5: specifics that's uh, no 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 immediate actions and of course prior to an election I guess they'd say they can't uh, really, uh, really do uh, do that, but uh, nothing that uh, would make people think that they're going to see action soon.
2: Uh, Daryl? I was going to say that uh, it, it seemed like a very specific target to me, um, and that was suburban commuters uh, and homeowners. That's that's who the Conservatives were really targeting, and, and it makes sense, I mean, because every election now in the province of Ontario is really easy to understand, Downtown votes progressive, rural smaller town Ontario votes conservative, and the swing vote is car commuting suburbanites. So they were very clearly targeting their initiatives at that group. who are disproportionately concerned right now about the cost of living and especially the cost of housing.
3: And what about demographically, Daryl?
2: Demographically, I think it's really looking at people between the ages of about 30 and 60. Um, and those are the people who are still in mostly their, uh, you know, working life. Particularly middle class people who are in that uh, in that group who are feeling a ton of pressure right now, particularly on the question of housing.
1: Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. As the provincial election campaign kicks into high gear, we continue our talks with the Ontario party leaders. Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca was here recently talking about his plan to put home care at the centre of long-term care. And on Monday, Fight Back welcomed NDP leader Andrea Horvath, who also had an announcement that day promising to accelerate the credentials of 15,000 international. Credited nurses who are in Ontario now and to issue quick job offers for up to 2,000 of them. Andrea Horvath explained to fight back, this would be part of a $60 million investment program. Well, what
6: we know for sure is that uh, healthcare workers, particularly nurses, are leaving the healthcare profession in droves. Uh, we, we see uh, nurses retiring, they're leaving. Uh, they're giving up on uh on a career that they love because they're they're being disrespected by the government uh and they're exhausted. They're exhausted. They've been working so hard during COVID uh and what they're what they've been telling me is uh they they just don't feel like the government is uh is respecting the work that they do. Uh and then of course as people were getting ill with COVID and now we have all of these procedures and surgeries that are backlogged, uh we need more healthcare professionals, not fewer. Uh, so that's why we've decided to take this uh, to take this um, plan forward and and talk to not only Ontarians uh, but uh, healthcare professionals who want to practice in their field. They they sat on the sidelines uh, as uh, as we needed them the most or when we needed the most during COVID, and we need to uh, not only give them the you know the, the dignity of a great job that uh, that pays well, uh, but also our healthcare system needs them desperately so that more people can, uh, can get the
3: care that they need. Have you done calculations, say if you, if you have quick job offers for 2,000 of them, have you done some kind of calculation on how, how far that would reduce wait times and for what? Well, what, we need nurses in all parts of the healthcare system,
6: uh, particularly in hospitals uh, right now. There's a, a lot of stress and a lot of uh, burnout. Uh, and uh, and and we know that we. I just I talked to a couple of folks today who said that they are trained in, as registered nurses in their home countries, but there are massive barriers to getting um, accredited here, and so and it, it's it's frustrating. Uh, people feel you know very. Um, uh, like they're being treated very unfairly. Uh, and, and they, they just, they, they, it's demoralizing for them. And they look to the United States uh, and, and they can get accredited within six months if they're a registered nurse from uh, uh, some of the com- uh, countries that uh, we've welcomed people from here in Ontario. So, I mean, if it can be done in the States, it can be done here. And we've worked with numbers from the Registered Nurses Association and the Ontario Nurses Association. Uh, that's where we have our information from. And and that's why we know that we can get
3: this done. In an earlier segment, I was uh, talking to Daryl Bricker, who tells me that your party, the NDP, polls highest in terms of fixing health care, but he doesn't really think that's the ballot question or that will be the ballot question. Uh, What do you say to that? Well, I I think people have a lot of things on their mind right now. I think
6: people understand that this election... Uh, is uh is an extremely uh, important one that uh that it's uh it's there's a lot at stake in this election uh people have seen life get harder and harder under doug ford in the last four years but let's face it the liberals brought us hallway medicine i mean they sold off hydro one um you know the gas plant scandal all of these things are are the reasons why people didn't support the liberals uh, last time around and they were hoping for for better uh from mr ford but they didn't get it uh, we still see the cost of everything going through the roof. People can't afford, uh, you know, to keep the roof over their heads. They're worried about keeping the roof over their heads. And uh, in the meantime, everything is costing more. Housing, the housing crisis is, is out of control. Uh, and Doug Ford's made it worse, not better. So I, I, think that I don't know that there's one, one particular thing when, when so many things are broken. What, what people are telling me is they just want a government not that's going to offer the moon and the stars, but a government that's going to
1: take care of the things
6: that matter most to them.
1: Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, turning back the clock on abortion rights for women in the U.S.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It is a shocking
1: development that could have significant ramifications on American politics and women in the U.S., On Monday, a draft U.S. Supreme Court decision was leaked, suggesting justices might consider overturning Roe v. Wade, the 1973 landmark decision that made abortion legal in the United States. The next day, it was confirmed the draft is authentic, but also that a final decision may be different. So, should this draft come to pass, what would be the ramifications here in Canada? Abortion was decriminalized in Canada in 1988, but a woman's right to a safe abortion has never been enshrined in law. On Wednesday, Libby was joined by a panel of experts from both sides of the Canada US border. Dr. Nancy Dowd, Professor of Law at the University of Florida, Dr. Joanna Erdman, Associate Professor of Law at Dalhousie University in Halifax, and Dr. David Cohen, Professor of Law at Drexel University's Thomas R. Klein School of Law in Philadelphia.
7: The leaked opinion pulls no punches. It is a full-throated rejection of Roe v. Wade and abortion rights. So people who support them are expressing their frustration and outrage. But people who have been trying to overturn Roe v. Wade for half a century now are celebrating, or at least tentatively celebrating, that they think finally the time has come. They've been working on this for decades, and it seems like their goal is in grasp.
3: Dr. Erdman, were you surprised that this draft, It doesn't even have any exceptions. It doesn't have exceptions for rape or or incest or even the mother's health.
6: Well, and indeed, uh, the opinion and Alito's uh, writing suggests that all of those issues can be returned to the state uh, and state by state. They can make decisions, and let's be frank, on the lives and health of people. I think the public reaction, the massive protests in the U.S. and worldwide says it all. The reaction is not just about coming restrictions on people's access to critical health care. It's really a reaction to the profound disrespect that the U.S. Supreme Court justices show, not just to people who support abortion rights, but those who have and need abortion. The opinion shows how little this court cares about people.
3: Dr. Cohen, would you see this as, as an assault on women's agency over their own bodies? Is that what it's about? Or what else is behind it?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think the group of justices that have been assembled on the Supreme Court right now, the, there are six conservative justices, five of whom are very conservative, and they don't care. They don't care about women's rights. They don't care about racial justice. They don't care about LGBTQ rights. They've made that clear. In their writings. The people who appointed them have made that clear. And I think this is, frankly, the first of many decisions that are going to come in the next year or two that we are going to see a a really quick um, return to a time when a lot of these rights weren't recognized. And this group of justices, they're on a mission. Um, So this this opinion absolutely shows that they do not care about women's rights. They do not care about women's bodily autonomy. Um, and that's just some of many rights that they don't care about.
3: I'd like to bring in Dr. Nancy Dowd, who is a professor of law at the University of Florida. So what is the situation in Florida? Are there uh, restrictive abortion laws there as well? Conservative abortion laws would are definitely... Uh, In place and in the legislative um, uh, pipeline. But we also have a state constitution that um, has an express right to privacy. Uh, So, and therefore, the right to um, uh, reproductive rights are protected under that state constitutional provision. So you would expect a a hyper conservative um, uh, response from Florida, except for the fact that our state constitution will provide um, some protection. So the question is how much? Dr. Cohen, what do you think happens next?
7: Look, I think that none of us know the future for sure. So there's always a possibility. But I think it's very unlikely for a couple of reasons. One, we know the court is very conservative, and this is consistent with that. But two, they've given every indication that this is where they're going, which is why what happened Monday doesn't surprise a lot of us. And that's going to put the ball in the court of state legislators and the president and other Democrats in Congress to not just express outrage, but to actually do something and enact legislation nationally and state in states that support abortion rights to further access and protect people who travel. So the really, the ball's in the court of people, who the pro-choice politicians, to act.
1: Libby's conversation on Wednesday with Dr. Nancy Dowd, Professor of Law at the University of Florida, Dr. Joanna Erdman, Associate Professor of Law at Dalhousie University in Halifax, and Dr. David Cohen, Professor of Law at Drexel University in Philadelphia. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Montrealers and Canadians alike honored hockey legend Guy Lafleur this past week at his national funeral. The iconic Quebecer and Canadian was one of just over 85,000 Canadians who is expected to die of cancer this year. Like the largest percentage of these people, Gila Fleur died of lung cancer, which continues to be the largest cause of death from cancer, followed by colorectal, pancreatic, and breast cancers. Our Libby Zneimer is a 14-year survivor of pancreatic cancer, and she openly refers to how unbelievably lucky she is to be here. But limited progress in its early detection and treatment are the reasons it is the third leading cause of cancer death in Canada, despite being down the list as the 11th most commonly diagnosed cancer. Of men in Canada... Prostate cancer remains the most commonly diagnosed cancer, followed by lung, colorectal, and bladder cancers. The most commonly diagnosed cancers among women are breast, followed by lung, colorectal, and uterine cancers. The good news is that overall cancer rates are declining. Even though the number of cases and deaths continues to climb, because of population growth, and the aging population. Libby was joined for a discussion on cancer rates and treatments by Dr. Anish Kerpalani, staff radiologist at St. Michael's Hospital, Dr. Chris Booth, medical oncologist and director of the Queen's University Cancer Research Institute, and Dr. Gerald Batiste, director of the Siegel Cancer Center at Montreal's Jewish General Hospital.
4: In some ways, we're making tremendous progress uh, in certain kinds of cancers um, uh, as we start to focus in on understanding subgroups of populations of patients and, and specific therapies that benefit specific patients. In other words, matching the right patient to the right treatment. And that's turning out to uh, present us with overall improved uh, outcomes. Then we have two overlaying problems, and that is, Cancer is generally a, a disease of, of the aging, and as the census report showed us last week, we have a population that's getting older, so the cancer incidence is rising uh, because of that, so the cancer burden, as we call it, uh, increases. And then finally, uh, we do have a, a major kind of tsunami of cancer cases now, presenting often with more advanced at more advanced stages than we're used to as a result of the delays during the, the earlier part of the pandemic. So it's a complex picture.
3: Dr. Booth, uh, so lung cancer continues to be the biggest cause of death from cancer. Reading this report, they said, well, we need better prevention, better smoking control. Is, is, is that the conclusion that you would draw?
8: Yeah, I think, I mean, I would echo Dr. Battis' comments. I think there's both, uh, you know, good news and some warning signs in, in the report recently published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal. I think, uh, you know, lung cancer and pancreas cancer are two very difficult to treat cancers, and I think, um, Certainly uh, in the lung cancer space, we know uh, a very effective technique to prevent lung cancer, which is uh, efforts for tobacco control. And I think that we, we often lose sight of that in the discussion about cancer. We focus on expensive new therapeutics and robots and lasers. And we should probably remember that tobacco control is, you know, highly, highly effective to reduce the mortality
3: for, for lung cancer. I, I didn't look up the smoking rates, but I thought that they had been dropping quite significantly. Am I wrong?
8: No, they have. They have. I think, though, that we perhaps maybe become complacent. They're much lower than they used to be. And I think that's why we're seeing um, lung cancer incidence mortality trends uh, improving. But I think that we can continue in 2022 to to push harder to try to drive tobacco utilization rates even lower.
3: Dr. Carvalani, it sort of seems to be the same story year after year, uh, where there isn't there just isn't a lot of progress and and even as as uh it's gone up from the fourth largest killer of cancer to the third
9: you're you're right i mean i think the you know the message here is though incidence rates may be going down of cancer the you know the burden um is going up and as we know um cancers you know we we use the word cancer but cancers are not all the same this is a very you know Heterogeneous group of uh, different group of diseases, um, and pancreas cancer is a is a great example. Um, it, it is it is an outlier um, in terms of um, the improvement in mortality over over decades. Uh, as some of the graphs from the CMAJ article show, the mortality levels have been fairly flat. Although there has been there is you know a lot of hope in recent improvement in. In therapies, um, and as you say, it's gone up to the, being the third highest, uh, third largest cause of death in Canada, um, higher than breast cancer and higher than prostate cancer, uh, despite it being a slightly less common incidence. Uh, it deserves tons of attention. Um, you know, there is there is progress. Uh, we need to talk about, um, you know, um, pancreas cancer and other forms of cancer that really have lagged behind in terms of their, you know, um, improvements. Um, they need more funding. And really, I I think one of the messages that comes across here is uh, we need to focus on new areas of of, of partnership uh, and innovation um, in trying to solve some of these um, very burdensome problems. You know, we have access issues and um, problems in in trying to get uh, these patients through our healthcare system now in this um, pandemic or post-pandemic world uh, that uh, we're having to face.
1: Dr. Anish Kirpalani, staff radiologist at St. Michael's Hospital, Dr. Chris Booth, medical oncologist and director of the Queen's University Cancer Research Institute, and Dr. Gerald Batiste, director of the Siegel Cancer Center at Montreal's Jewish General Hospital. They were in conversation with Libby on Tuesday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's best of fight back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was, and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer
1: has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Sita in Mississauga phoned about all of the costs associated with Ontario's election promises.
6: Every promise sounds great. But what is their plan? Where's the money coming from to cover the loss of revenue that came from like renewal license plate, et cetera? And how can they cut the ridership to a buck a ride? Like who's where's the money is gonna come from to cover transit, new roads and everything, etc.?
0: And now Fightback's knockout call of the week.
1: There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Ron in Guelph, who phoned about the proposed controversial Highway 413.
5: I don't know how the Conservatives can
1: justify it, and I think if there's going to be any debates,
5: either locally and all those writings to go through it, I think those uh, Conservative um, candidates and Doug Ford They've got to figure out a way to justify it, and from what Mike and what everything that I've read, thirty seconds. The other side of this thing is uh, Doug Ford won't cost it. They say ten billion. Well, you and I both know that ten billion today is twenty billion in a few more years, right?
1: three six seven nine six three six i'm jane brown join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of fight back
0: the best of fight back is produced by jane brown justin Eacock, and zeev Hadi, with technical production by kelly robotham executive producer moses nimer